Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Moms No Fluff. Today, Alma, my podcast partner, is not here with me, but instead of Alma, I have a guest speaker. So first, I want to thank all of our listeners to, for joining us yet again for another episode. And for those who are very new and are listening to us for the first time, thank you for joining us. Today, I have a guest speaker. Her name is Amy Langan, and I'm so very excited to have her here. I want to introduce her. I'll let her introduce herself. And uh, Amy, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, my, as, as you said, my name is Amy Langan. I'm a speech language pathologist, and I've been doing that for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years in June. And right now I work in a school for multiply disabled children, um, ages three through 21. And I've been there, it'll be 18 years in February. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, I have the honor and pleasure to know Amy personally for a few good years now. And I'm so very excited, Amy, that you agreed to join me here on this uh, conversation about uh, what is speech and language pathology and to help uh, the allies of the disability community understand a little bit of the therapies that our kids are involved in and for the other parents that are in this journey uh, with us to kind of uh, help clarify a little bit about the services their children are involved in. So um, can you just maybe uh, start by telling us uh, how did you become a speech and language pathologist? What uh, drew you to this field? So it's a little interesting. I actually, through all of my high school years, decided wanted to be a pharmacist. So I'm not sure if it was my junior or my senior year, but one day my English teacher took the whole class instead of talking about English and decided to talk about speech language pathology. And I guess he did a good job because before I knew it, by the end of the class, I chucked all of my pharmacy applications and went and applied for speech language pathology schools. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> a career choice that was changed like that. Yeah, in quite a different, you know, different field. So uh, if you don't mind, can you explain a little bit about what is the work of a speech and language pathologist? What do they do with children with disabilities? Mm -hmm. So a uh, speech language pathologist assesses and treats people with speech disorders, language disorders, and even swallowing disorders, which not a lot of people know, you know, the how, how does swallowing tie into speech, but it's all, you know, in the same general area. Um, we work with pretty much throughout the lifespan. So from birth to the first day, really, until the last day, um, you know, there are speech language pathologists in uh, neonatal intensive care units, all the way up to uh, long term care facilities for senior citizens. And I've actually done most of that <laughs> throughout my years. Wow. Yeah. What is it that you like most about your work? 
Well, where I work right now, it's a school. I work with children and young adults. And to me, it's just fun. You know, we have, uh, it's a very happy environment. We always have a lot of things going on. Um, last week we had Halloween. So we had a, a sensory haunted house set up on the stage for the students. We did a nice Halloween like costume parade and they even uh, went trick-or-treating to different classrooms and they were able to use their communication devices to participate in that. So that was pretty cool. Wow, that's amazing. And I had the pleasure of visiting your school a couple of times and that's a very impressive school. And I know that uh, a, a lot of staff members there are extremely dedicated and are doing above and beyond. And uh, although um, my my daughter has never been to a school, um, I, uh, I think that uh, it's quite incredible what some of the programs uh, for children with disabilities have to offer. So kudos for the Halloween party. It sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, no, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, what are the hardest uh, things of uh, working as a speech and language pathologist? What are kind of like the difficulties that one might, might encounter? Um, one thing that's challenging is that progress can be slow. Um, it's not always um, as quickly as you would hope it would be. Um, <clears throat> But even a little bit of progress is still progress. And I always try to remind people of that. Any little step forward is still a step forward. Um, my kids have a lot of medical needs at my school, a lot of um, doctor's appointments. So, you know, attendance is not always great, but, you know, we try to, to make things up as best as we can with that. Going along with the medical needs, um, unfortunately, we do, we have had quite a number of students pass away during our time with them, which is incredibly hard. You know, you, the kids become like your own kids, like your own family. And it's just, it's, it's rough. That's definitely a negative side to this. Yeah. My, my particular situation. That's I'm sure like the, the most devastating thing that a professional can experience is uh, losing one of their uh, it's good we've had grief counselors yeah you know, come in and talk to us so that's nice you know nice but yeah very hard um and then um do you guys like manage to stay in touch with families how, how does that work we usually yeah we frequently do and uh we've had families even come back to events that we've had at the school just to say hi and you know yeah, keep in touch but yeah we try try as best as we can you know, yeah. but it's hard for families too you know it's you know a reminder yeah I um it's it's one aspect of aspect of uh, raising children with complex needs that we try to kind of not uh, not think about on a regular basis but uh, we're all aware that it's kind of lurking there and the caregiving is what kind of keeps us away from from that scenario everybody's trying to do their best in terms of uh, the therapies that they bring for their children and how they care for them but um, it just um, it, it is devastating when it happens and uh, unfortunately in the disability community we all know someone you know that has been through something like that so um yeah, it is hard for families and the therapists, obviously. Um, so 
when we're talking about that and the very special and intimate uh, connection that the therapists can have with the child, do you have any recommendations for parents on how to choose the best uh, therapist to work with their child, how to kind of make it click? Uh, I would say word of mouth. Um, you know, chances are, you know, someone or some a friend of a friend who has worked with a therapist before that they they can recommend. Um, even like I came to you, you know, I am friends and colleagues with Karen's former therapist. So uh, also, I would think Facebook groups, local communities, you know, just if you're trying to find someone in the immediate area, I think that's probably a good resource too. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things if I kind of, kind of like expand of our, our relationship, which is obviously through my daughter, Karen, because uh, Amy has been working extensively with Karen for a few years now. We have about six hours a week, right, of uh, speech uh, uh, therapy. And uh, I have to uh, to kind of talk a little bit about the way that you work with Karen, which I find so fascinating and special because uh, you kind of totally gave in, <laughs> in a way, to the activities that she wants to engage in and kind of through kind of the back door speech therapy yeah, is exactly you know it's a very and it's just something so unique to kind of like uh, totally go with the flow of the child and their uh, will and interest and desire and then do everything else kind of as an an after uh, afterthought in a way but but it becomes it, it brought about such an amazing progress that uh, it obviously works <laughs> Yeah, that's been a challenge during, you know, our time being virtual, you know, it was a much different in person when I can bring materials and we can can work on things like that. But yeah, and, you know, and the, the teen years, you know, can be a little bit of a, uh, bring, a little, bring on a little bit of stubbornness. Uh, but yeah, we made it work. We figured out a way to, um, you know, I'll slide things in there that she doesn't necessarily pick up on. Um, even simple things, if she's struggling to spell a word, you know, I give her a little, you know, a little bit of help. And then of course she rolls her eyes at me because she, you know, wants no part of my assistance. Um, but it's great though, when I, I do see her coming up with something to say that's so perfect and so relevant to, to what we're talking about. And even um, like, again, with spelling, just spelling something completely perfectly on her own without any hint for me when I, I know she needed help with that word before. So, so yeah. So uh, and for me, uh, one of the things that defines like a good practitioner is someone that really sees the child and understand the child, not just from let's talk about swallowing, but sees the child as a whole and understands, uh, you know, their personality, their wills, their desires, uh, motivation, etc. That defines a good practitioner to me. But I want to ask you, what defines a good practitioner in your opinion and uh, how, uh, how that affects like what parents should look for in a practitioner? I think uh, it needs to be a good balance of both clinical expertise and compassion and seeing the human side of it, because at the, the, the bottom line, we're all humans. We all have feelings, we all have emotions, we all have good days, bad days. Um, and I, I feel people will be more comfortable and be more success successful and more willing to 
participate in things if they're comfortable, if they feel cared about and not just, um, you know, a job. Yeah. I, I talked uh, in this podcast before about um, kind of my objection to early intervention and the way that, you know, sometimes children are bombarded with the, uh, with lots of therapies and uh, that it kind of really dominates their whole life and they don't have a life that is not really a therapy session. And in the same kind of sentence, I just mentioned that uh, my daughter Karen has six hours just with you every, mm-hmm. every week. And uh, and even today, it, because we're meeting and you're not meeting with her, she's like, I can't wait for tomorrow for my <laughs> session with Amy, which she does every day, kind of counting the hours until yeah. her next time. So I wanted to ask you about like, what's a, a good kind of balanced rehabilitation plan? What's a good uh, ratio in your opinion for intervention versus not? Well, it depends too on what the child tolerates, what they're able to um, participate in. And, and again, a lot of kids have speech, PT, OT, music therapy, you know, it can be a lot. Uh, that's kind of a tough question. You know, I'm not a parent myself. I can imagine it's extremely challenging, like playing Tetris almost to fit all of these things into, to a schedule. Um, but I would say, you know, a combination of whatever the, the child tolerates and whatever they need most to meet the goals that they're working on. And, um, I, I kind of want to ask you, in terms of uh, success stories, what's in your kind of book, what, what is success in uh, your therapy sessions, in your work with children? Uh, I, I really hope and, and would like to think that all of my kids have success stories of their own and some in their own individual way. Um, I, I get excited anytime a student, a student or a, you know, um, a client communicate something independently on their own for the first time. Um, I have a little guy that I, I work with at the school and I think it was last week or the week before he, he has um, a Toby Dyn. Am I allowed to name drop device names? <laughs> he has a Toby Dyn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and normally he'll touch single words to, to make requests. And so I went over to see him for therapy and he clearly did not want me there at that time. So he just took his device and he said, goodbye, Amy. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, I'm excited because you, you know, you just communicated an independent thought to me, but I was like, oh, you know, all right, well, <laughs> luckily I was able to convince him to continue, but, but yeah, even, even uh, something not so positive was still, you know, successful to me because he's telling me what he wants and I'm understanding what he wants. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Stringing two words into a sentence is also a big milestone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in what uh, situations do you think parents should maybe use a speech pathologist? Uh, what kind of conditions or times in a child's life, um, you know, it might be helpful to get speech therapy? I'm sure it's just there's any sort of delay in speech development, language development, uh, difficulty swallowing. Um, a lot of times when I worked in early intervention, parents would seek out services because they noticed that their second child wasn't doing the same things as their, their first child was. So they would realize, oh, you know, because people that are not in the field don't typically know what the rate of development is and when things should be happening. So that's 
mostly what I've seen that it's parents comparing even to other children that they know. Yeah. And um, do you have any kind of message to parents of children with disabilities with regards to raising their kids and therapy in general? Like, uh, what do you think? I, I'd say parents need to just advocate, advocate, advocate. I think that's the, the biggest thing. Um, you know, they always say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> You know, and, and if, especially if your child doesn't have their own voice yet, they need you to, you know, be on it and be there for them to to get them what they need. Um, also, going along with that, it's important to teach the child to advocate for themselves. You know, once they become older and are able to have a method of communicating because, you know, parents aren't going to be around forever and they need to learn to stand up for themselves and fight for what they're entitled to what they deserve and what they should be getting. And maybe a message to allies of the disability community, uh, people that are listening to the podcast, they don't have uh, children with disabilities themselves, but something that you can share that might be helpful when they interact with kids with disabilities or just when you know, they're out and about in the community. Uh, patience, be patient, um, be understanding, uh, give people time, you know, because you know, with, Uh, communication devices, sometimes it takes a little while to get the message going. So just be understanding, patient, um, be helpful if you can be helpful. So I also think it's really important to teach your non-disabled children about children with, with disabilities. Um, you know, I, I know it's uncomfortable. I've gone out on field trips out in the community and people stare and, and look. Um, expose your children to, to other people. Children. you know we have kids come in to volunteer at our school from other other schools and I think that's really helpful for them to develop an understanding of what it's like to be different and that it's okay to be different and then everybody is a person and deserves respect and I think that that is such an important message because uh, if we want to have a more inclusive society and if we want to have a more inclusive world, We have to teach the children. And if the children are not exposed to other kids with disabilities and they don't learn how to communicate with those that have communication challenges, then we can never get to the point that we have real inclusion. So that uh, last sentence is so very important, and I'm so appreciative you mentioned that, Amy. Amy, I want to thank you for joining me today for this uh, brief conversation about uh, speech and language uh, pathology and uh, the intervention that most of our kids have uh, with that. I also want to thank you for being such an amazing practitioner and for being able to just like step at the same baby steps that your clients do and to match uh, their needs and to really see the person behind the disability. And uh, I hope that um, that the experience of working as a therapist is as rewarding to you as it is for my personal child working with you and I know for many many other clients and other children that get to spend time with you so uh, thank you for the work that you do thank you for all the other therapists that are now listening to this episode for the work that you do with the children you work with and for all the parents who 
exercise and bring their kids time and time again to get all of those services. And for all the community members that listen to this podcast, just to kind of gain some more knowledge and understanding about the disability life that our kids are involved in and therapies that uh, help them be the best version of themselves. And uh, if you have any questions for Alma Schneider or myself, Iris Meller, or any questions for our guest speaker today, for Amy Langen, please uh, use our Facebook group uh, to ask questions or our website to touch base with us. We are always happy to hear uh, success stories and other stories from our listeners. So uh, thank you again for joining us and have a wonderful week. For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.